So church, it's just, it's a delight tonight for the last time over this weekend to, part, to have uh, Pastor Mark Varagis with us. He's, he is, and I showed a video this morning, but he is the leader of what is a phenomenal uh, miracle in motion, momentum that would, could only come from God's breath being on godly decisions and obedience and wisdom and grace. It's a phenomena. Uh, he and his wife, uh, Jemima have been leading what's called Kingdom City Church. Uh, it started in KL in 2006. It's now in Perth and 12 other nations around the world. There's 28 different locations. All of these buildings, 35,000 people are part of their global church, which is now really a movement. And uh, they they are phenomenal, phenomenal uh, believers in Christ, got a gift of faith, got a gift of leadership, an incredible ability to, to teach the Word of God in a way that unlocks the Word of God. Uh, Pastor Mark was a lawyer before he became a pastor, took a massive pay cut to follow the call of God. And as a result of not just one, but a series, a life of, of steps of faith, obedience and sacrifice, literally, uh, that's 35,000 people in their church, plus literally hundreds of thousands of Christians and churches have been impacted by what God is doing through their life. And so it's been like it's been a real joy for me both to hear Pastor Mark preach but to be in conversation with him to learn from him uh, to catch his spirit and uh, and really felt like we've made, I've made a new friend over this weekend and I know our church has made a, a, new, a new friend and so Pastor Mark it's been a delight to have you with us but we're expecting for a great night so come on make him real welcome see you Powerhouse It's absolutely true. I feel like I've left the Sunshine Coast with a new friend and a great new family. They're just are an amazing group of people. And uh, even though I don't get to know all your names individually, uh, if you carry anything even close to the heart of your pastors, you must be the most wonderful people in the world. So it's been a joy and a privilege. It's always a privilege to bring the Word of God but uh, to a place that's so hungry, so receptive, so life-giving, so fun, so, so many things. And, and just to hear all these stories and then just to hear that story, oh my gosh. <laughs> what is that? That's not a story, that's a movie. That's a docu-series. <laughs> absolutely, but that's God. And if you don't know him, tonight you're gonna get your chance. Let's just pray. Father, we're so grateful that tonight, if they meet me and forget me, they've lost nothing. But if they meet you and forget you, they've lost everything. So tonight I pray they hear you, they meet you, less of us, more of you. And even now, God, in a posture of expectancy, we invite your already present presence at a greater measure. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. More of your presence now. So let him just turn up the intensity of his presence. You can feel it just falling into this place. Come, Holy Spirit. Come. Have your way. Move on the hearts of every person we pray tonight. In Jesus' name. Can you say amen? In this wonderful presence, you may be seated. Thank you, stunning, fabulous, wonderful, incredible, kind, generous worship team. Can you help me thank them as well? Well, this is the 17th message I've spoken this week. And 
hopefully the best. <laughs> when I was uh, working as a lawyer, as Pastor John said, I drove a Hyundai XL. Anyone ever driven a Hyundai XL? Yeah, it's good. It was a hatchback, but it wasn't necessarily befitting of a lawyer when I'd pull up to the golf clubs and some of those car parks, but it, I had no debt. All these other guys, young lawyers who bought BMWs and Audis and Mercs and really they had a big debt. So I was like, okay, God, I'll rather take the stigma of, wearing, of driving a debt-free Hyundai than, you know. And, and but the problem with the Hyundai, well, there's many problems, but one of them was, one of them was, Every seven, eight, nine months, the wheel alignment would go whacked. And it would sort of just, you could be driving straight on the road and it would drift. And so I'd take it to the mechanic, get it wheel aligned, where they just put it up on a hoist and I'm no mechanic, but essentially they just tweaked it. Or whatever they did, that's the sound I make. And then I'd get in the car and it'd be good again. And I would drive my Hyundai and about seven, eight, nine months into it, start to veer off, I take it into wheel alignment. So I was just like, I'm gonna book this in every seven to nine months. But, you know, even as our world has emerged from this pandemic, even as we've gone on a journey, all of us with stories, sometimes that's what our life needs. It's not that we're going in the wrong direction. We might be going in the right direction, but after a while our car, our life starts to veer off just a fraction. And it's not because we make horrible choices, it's just little things affect our motivation. Little things affect our hunger, little things affect our life. And I wanna to read to you a passage from Philippians chapter three, written by the Apostle Paul, who is a great apostle. If you don't know who he is, he's the guy who wrote two thirds of the New Testament. He was a murderer who God radically turned around and saved because God can save murderers. God saves everybody, if you're willing. And he was an amazing guy. He had all the credentials. He was a really religious zealot, a devout guy, did all the right things, then ended up doing all the wrong things. And then God blinded him. And then he gets radically touched. He goes, plants churches all over the world. He does incredible things in the then known world, writes two thirds of what the whole world in, in believers anyway now called the New Testament. So this is a big deal but you, there's a few verses in Philippians 3 that gives us insight into this guy and his journey, his desires, his focus, his value system. And this passage has been for me a passage that has been like a wheel alignment to my Hyundai heart. And every time my heart starts to go, you know, this passage just comes and does that. So I'm gonna share it with you, ready for this? Philippians 3, 7 through 14, it says this, but what things, were gained to me, meaning all the stuff that I've got, accumulated, whatever, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet I indeed also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge. Say knowledge. The word knowledge there is not intellectual understanding, it's a relational knowing. Personally knowing you, like I knew of John Pierce, now I know John Pierce. The, it's this interaction that comes through time. The knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Everything he counts as rubbish to get Christ. Next. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Listen to his heart. The hunger of this apostle that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I'm like, Paul, you know him, you're writing the Bible. And the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal. Everyone say goal. goal. For the prize. Say prize. prize. 
of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I want to speak to you about the difference for a few moments, and, this, and you'll see how this is the high and die heart wheel alignment passage in a moment. I want to talk to you about the difference between the goal and the prize. Now, on, on face value, that's obvious. If you play sport or you've watched sport, it's obvious. You imagine if the final, you know, whether you're in AFL or rugby or, or whatever your soccer code is, maybe the World Cup, and, and you imagine the guy's taking the penalty kick or the last field goal, and the World Cup is at stake. The whole world is watching, and they're looking, and there on the corner is the, is the trophy that everybody wants. But the guy is lining up to take the penalty kick or whatever version of it is. He kicks the ball toward the goal. He wants the prize. He doesn't want to take the sticks home. But he's aiming for the goal because he wants the prize. He does not kick the ball towards the trophy. It's obvious. Usain Bolt running on the track, fastest man alive. He sees on the corner of the Olympic stage the dice where he wants to stand to get the gold medal. That's what he wants. But he doesn't run towards the dice. He runs towards the goal, the finishing line. He runs to the goal because if you hit the goal, you win the prize. If you get the goal, you win the prize. So what has Paul been talking about? The goal that he's been talking about is to know God. That's the goal. He says, everything I've ever done is nothing compared to knowing God. Everything I do, I forget what is behind and I press toward. You hear the hunger of this guy who's achieved a lot, good and bad. And he's got one goal in mind, that I may know him, that I may know him. And I'm going, you know him. You're writing the Bible. But there's more of God to know. There's the, the journey of, of, of following God is this endless adventure. And the, the writer is saying, here's my goal in life. This is where I'm aiming my life, toward the goal. What's the goal? To know Christ, that I may know him, that I may know him. Then if I hit the goal, I'll get the prize. What are the prizes? Well, there's so many prizes that come from knowing God. But the problem is if after a while in the church, in life, if we're not careful, we'll start aiming our life towards the prize. And what's obvious in sport is less obvious in life. What's obvious in, in athletics is less obvious in ministry. It's less obvious in this journey. That's why I've loved hearing all these stories. See, my upbringing, I, I explained a little bit to some of the pastors on Thursday. I um, grew up in a really traditional, orthodox sort of very religious church and nice people there, but it was really, it's the kind of place where if you smile at church, you get in trouble. It's definitely not C3 powerhouse, I'll tell you that. <laughs> you know, and it was, it was incredibly nervy. So it's like for two hours I'd breathe in and pretend to be someone else just so I wouldn't get in trouble. And then once it was over, oh, back to my real life. It was this sort of, what has this got to do with the reality of where I'm living at? And then we migrated and we came to Australia. And when I came to Perth, we went to this church. And this pastor, firstly, it didn't feel like a church because it was a badminton court. And I'm like, where's the steeples? Where's the stained glass windows? Where's the father with the little collar and the thing? Did not feel like a church to me. That's all I thought church was. And this guy, dressed pretty cool, not as cool as Pastor John, but pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, he's pretty cool, for, honestly. Like, anyone ever tell you you look like Pierce Brosnan? Is that a yes? Is that the first time you've heard it? Yes. He's one of the best looking guys in the world, but anyway. Um, <laughs> it's already his favorite sermon of the weekend. All right. Um, this guy talked about God. This, pre, this pastor talked about God like he knew him. I'm going, what? Why is he talking about God like as if he has conversations with him? Not at easy. Does he talk to God? Apparently God talks back to him. That is weird. But something in me got ignited as a young person. And I'm like, I didn't know you could know God. I just figured one day you'd get to die and then deal with it then, I guess. I figured he's sovereign but scary. No idea he was intimate and involved. And he wanted relationship with me. 
And then you read what Paul wrote, and you're like, this guy who knows God says, oh, that I may know him. Oh, that I may know him. And he's clarifying his hunger for the goal of knowing Christ. And he says, everything I've gained is nothing compared to the goal. So the one thing I do, I forget everything that's behind, and I aim my radar firmly at the goal of knowing Christ. And I know there's prizes that come with it, but I'm after the goal. But here's the challenge with the prizes that God wants to bring into our life. If we're not careful and we start aiming our life towards the prizes, we may end up missing the goal. And you're like, yeah, but it's not that bad. One degree off 30 years from now is a long way off. So like my wheel alignment in my Hyundai, every now and then is like, God, just, God, that's right. It's just about you. I love you. I don't care about all this other stuff. Wonderful if it comes. Wonderful if it goes but my goal is to know you. So I want to give you a few prizes in life that we will all benefit from. We may even chase, but don't, because they're not the goal. They'll come, but they're not to be where we focus. Here's a, here's, here, it'll make sense as I share them. Here's the first prize, recognition. Recognition. There's something in every human that wants to be celebrated, not just tolerated. There's something in us, the Bible says we're meant to be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. And that is good, and we, sh- we shouldn't have tall poppy syndrome. And when someone does great, I met a politician this morning, you meet celebrities, you meet people, and I, that's wonderful. And I think we should celebrate people who God is using in significant ways and whatever. I'm all for that, you know, and that's wonderful. But recognition is not the goal of life. It's just a prize that comes. My whole journey in doing what I'm doing has brought some level of recognition, but really, that can never be the goal of my life. The minute that becomes the goal of my life, my Hyundai needs some alignment and by the way recognition is not evil recognition is a prize it comes but it also goes before Facebook Jesus had friends before Instagram he had followers he had lots of recognition in his time he was so recognized but he knew that wasn't the goal of his ministry it was a prize if, it, if, if recognition was the goal, if Jesus' whole goal was to be recognized, when they tried to make him king, he would have gone, finally. You're correct. No, he just walked through the crowd. There are some miracles he did, right? This is <laughs> some miracles he did. He'd heal people and he'd go, shh, don't tell anyone. I'm like, what do you mean don't tell anyone? Listen, if I pray for you and you get healed, put it on every social media platform, tag me, hashtag me, I'm like, Jesus, what sort of PR strategy is that? I don't know. I can't explain to you why some yes, some no. There's probably reasons. But it was clear that even though he was, had so much recognition, it was never the goal. It was never the goal. And sometimes we can get obsessed. Now, we don't want to admit it, but it's something that we all seek after. Let me give you an example of how this wheel alignment worked in my life. It's a bit of an embarrassing story, but hey, I'm flying out tonight. I'm, I'm meeting my wife at the airport in Brisbane in about three hours. I haven't seen her for seven days. And then we're flying back to KL. And then we're meeting my two boys who I haven't seen for eight days. And then we're going on for a little holiday in Penang. Come and visit us sometime in Malaysia. And just say, I'm from uh, C3 Powerhouse and you'll get extra special concession. You won't get charged for any of our church services. You can come in. Any of the countries we're in, just have a look and pick one, come and visit. Anyways, this is many years ago before I'd met my wife. And so I was a keyboard player and I was working as a lawyer in the first church I grew up in. And we did this big thing called Carols by Candlelight, where you'd go to a big park and thousands of people would come out. And I loved being a part of the band. And one year, I was the assistant music director. And the, the music director took a leave for, for a season. Uh, he wasn't involved. And so the pastor asked me, Pastor David, he said, would you put the whole thing together musically. And I love it, because I love doing arrangements, and uh, we had practices four months out. I was teaching the choir their parts, teaching the bass player his part, the brass, the horns. I just loved it, and I was the keyboard, and I, we put the whole thing together, and it was a joy. Why? Because we do this for the Lord, right? We do this for God, and 
even though I was working full-time as a lawyer, I'd come in weeknights, two to three nights, we'd get the teams, we'd work it out, and it was really worth it. I got great joy out of it. And then the week before the actual event in December, the pastor got the guy, the music director who had taken three months off and said, hey, listen, I want him to come back. Can you catch him up to speed with what's going on? He's going to sort of MC it and lead it a bit. He's a great singer. I said, okay. So I told him everything we'd rehearsed. This is what you have to do. Da, da, da. He, was, he was really grateful because I basically carried the load while he was away. And he came back. And then on the night, it was a brilliant night. Thousands gathered. Every, the songs went well. The musicians didn't make mistakes. It was wonderful. It was a great night until until the vote of thanks, because the pastor got up to say thank you, and he thanked a whole bunch of people like we did at a conference yesterday when Pastor John and Daniel got up, and they just thanked a lot of people. He was thanking all these people. Then he goes, and who here loved the music? And everybody cheered, and everyone in the band looked at me like, because he goes, one man has put in so much effort over four months, da da da, and I was like, you know, everyone's looking at me. It's like, yeah, good job. And, you know, he does this big runway. And, and at that point, when you know you're about to get complimented, you've got to do the humble look. I'm going to teach it. The humble look is where you sort of, you don't look at people. You look up or you look down. You fiddle with the hem of your garment. And you point with the other hand. So I'm just teaching you. Ever you want to look humble, this is how you do it. So I'm getting ready for the humble look. Everyone's like, oh, he's put in hours and he gave the rehearsals and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, ladies and gentlemen, please thank. And then he thanked the wrong guy. He thanked the guy who was four months on leave who did nothing. Now, I'm fine now. I'm just telling you the story. But he thanked the wrong guy. Now, I have no problem if he thanked nobody, but 5,000 people are cheering but the wrong guy. And he's looking to totally amused, like, I didn't do anything. And we're like, yeah, I know you did nothing. And, and everyone's clapping, everyone's confused, and, but he pastor just made a mistake. And now the problem is I'm stuck there, and you can't look angry, because then you look like you got pride. So you've got to act like, oh, it doesn't matter. And then the humble look, I'm like clapping. Yeah, awesome, yeah. And you can't tell anyone, because then you look like you got issues. For about a, I reckon two and a half days I sulked internally. So angry. The injustice. Where's all the justice people? Then I heard the Lord say, are you done yet? It's like one of those rebuking voices. Are you done yet? I'm like, yes, Lord, I'm sorry. You know, I thought, I thought I did this for you, but clearly my reaction showed me that somewhere along the line, recognition went from being just a prize that may or may not come to being the goal. My reaction showed me I was aiming for something. And what happened in that moment, the Holy Spirit's voice is like a Hyundai wheel alignment. One thing I do, God, that I would know you. Everything else is nothing. If people know, people don't know, whatever, it doesn't matter. All that matters is that I know you. All that matters is that you know me and I know you. And here's the thing. I don't know how you respond when Pastor John thanks someone and not you. Or, or, or your spouse gets the attention and you don't. And Because and, some there'll be seasons where you get attention. Shorty, are you doing all right there, buddy? <laughs> things okay? <laughs> Look. I never want to get on the wrong side of Shorty. That's all I'm telling you. That's such an insulting nickname for a man so tall. Um, and so, but you know, because, and by the way, now I get credit for things I never done. He did this and he did that, and I watch videos. I'm like, I don't know how that happened. So sometimes you're getting no recognition. Sometimes you're getting a lot. It's a prize. It's wonderful. I do believe God wants to highlight people. I do believe God wants to celebrate this house. I do believe powerhouse is going to be highlighted by God across the nations. And it's going to be wonderful. But recognition will come. And recognition will go. Make it never the goal of ministry. And make it never the goal of marriage. Make it never the goal of life. Make the goal always that I may know Christ. Let the prizes come with it, but let the prize never be the goal. Here's another prize 
that God wants for you, but it's not the goal, results. You're like, hmm, this is confusing. Now, I want to tell you, fruitfulness is something Jesus demanded. Parable of the talents. Multiply good and faithful, wicked and lazy. The tree that didn't bear fruit, he cursed it. The, you know, there's so much about stewardship and God wanting a return that you'd be forgiven for making results a real big goal in life. And can I tell you, Jesus had tremendous results. In three years, the Bible says that if everything he did was written, there wouldn't be enough books to contain what this guy did in three years. That's a pretty full life of fruit and favor and increase in results. He had healings, he had deliverances, he had miracles, he had stories. He, there was so much that Jesus achieved in three years. And yet results were never the goal of his ministry. You're like, you sure? Because he did a lot. Yeah, but it was never the goal. I'll tell you why. If, if results was the goal of Jesus' ministry, he wouldn't have preached the Dracula message. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. <laughs> it's like gross, disgusting. Lord, can you just do a nicer message at conference? It didn't even go, it's a metaphor, guys. I'm telling you an imagery around communion. He goes, no, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they all leave. And Jesus didn't go, no, stop them. Give them a VIP bag on the way out. <laughs> he looks at his disciples and goes, you guys want to go as well? And Peter's like, where are we going to go? You're like, Jesus, why? You know, if, if results was the goal, he wouldn't have formed a whip of cords and gone, let's drive out those negotiating, bargaining with me in the temple. He would have gone, at least they're here, guys. Be kind. There's various steps till salvation, and at least they're here. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying it's in the book. And so I go, Jesus, you had so many results, but clearly there's a few incidents that show that it wasn't your goal. And you could be forgiven for serving God so much that you think some results should be the natural flavor and the fruit of what follows your life. I grew up in church, served God faithfully. I remember the age of 26, I think it was, 26, 27. Um, I had a really bad week. Now, people have had real bad weeks. After hearing Sandy's story, my weeks don't compare to her weeks. But for me, it was a, it was, you know, let's, it was a bad week for me. And here, let me tell you what happened in this one week. On the same week, I got made redundant in my first law job. My girlfriend broke up with me. And I contracted hepatitis A, which is not any sexually transmitted disease. It's a virus thing. Just making sure I'm just uh, letting you know that's true. And sometimes you say hepatitis, people are like, whoa, you did what? So, so same week, redundant, girlfriend breaks up with you, and I contracted hepatitis A. And now one of those things is not bad, but all three is bad, because normally if, you, if, you, if, you, if, you, if your girlfriend breaks up with you, you go throw yourself into your work, but I lost my job. If you lose your job, you go hang out with your girlfriend, but she broke up with you. If you lose your girlfriend and your job, you go hang out with your mates, but I've got a virus and I'm infected and I'm in isolation, so it was a bad week. And I remember for about a week and a half, I'm like, God, this is ridiculous. I've lost my job. I could have written a country and western song at that point, yeah. yeah so, but, but I remember thinking, is this what I get, God? My life is barren. There's nothing to show for this. And he's like, really? Are you going to give up because your tree looks barren right now? See, there are people here tonight and you feel like a failure because it's not, you're, you don't have the results to show for a lot of effort. But I want to tell you, there'll be some seasons, there's two categories of people. Those with lots of results who think God is real pleased with you. Those with no results who think God is mad at you. Results will come if you do the right thing long enough, but results are not the goal of life. It's a prize. It'll come, it'll go. I even, even in ministry, like I became a pastor, I was a preacher, this is before Kingdom City, I was on staff, and my pastor, I was one of the preachers on the team, and my pastor encouraged me. It's a bit, a bit like, you know, Pastor John encouraged Josh, you're a great preacher. He was encouraging me, he goes, Mark, you're such a good preacher. He goes, you know, when you preach, people get saved more than even when I preach, or the other associates. And I did the humble look, I was like. <laughs> it was a few years after the keyboard, but you know. I, <laughs> Anyway, strange thing happened. The next time I preached, the next time I preached, no one got saved. I thought, strange. I said, oh, I suppose even Billy Graham would have had a bad day. Keep going. So then, next time I preached, 
No one got saved, no one responded. And I thought, the pastor's jinxed me, he's cursed me. <laughs> the third time after that, I'm thinking, no one got saved. I'm like, I- Ichabod, it's a, glory has departed. Like I thought, it's all over. I need to quit ministry. Three weeks in a row, I preached. Nobody, and after, just after you told me how every time I preach, people get saved, I'm thinking, oh, I know what I need to do next time. Pray and fast. So the next time I prayed and fasted, Pastor John, this was amazing. This, my message was so good. In fact, I don't think I even spoke a message. I couldn't afford any theology to get in the way of my altar call. So I literally had, I had the keyboardist up the whole time. The lights were down. It was the longest altar call you've ever heard. Like somebody's getting saved tonight. I gave the invitation, nobody, not even a pinky. Don't worry. Said, you don't hear me, church, close your eyes again. (laughs) If you've even had a thought, ever. I don't care if you're on fire, if you've even had a thought. I dragged it out to make the bar so low that even the staff should have got saved that night. Nobody responded. I hand the mic back to the pastor. I walk down to the side. They're singing some closing song. I'm pretending to worship. I'm actually whinging to God. (laughs) This is ridiculous. I'm officially, it's over. It's over. It's not going to work anymore. And I'm whinging to God about why no one's getting saved. And you know what? The Holy Spirit said something to me that I'll never forget till the day I die. Never. He cut across all my whinging thoughts. And he said, son, in a very gentle way, son, If no one ever got saved under your ministry, would you still serve me? I was like, I started crying. I'm like, God, is that a trick question? (laughs) But instantly, it disarmed everything. I thought you want everyone saved, but, but you know what he was doing? He was discerning my motive and my heart. Did I really care that people were getting saved or did I care that I had fruit and results on my life? Which was my motivation? Was it their eternal salvation that really bothered me? Or I just want to look like I've got a really powerful ministry. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. And in one moment, Hyundai heart wheel alignment. And somewhere along the line, the results had become the goal. There might be people here tonight and your results have become the goal of your life. And tonight, whether you're going through excess or barrenness, let the Holy Spirit just adjust and say, Father, if no one recognizes me, if no one knows me, or even if my goal, like the Apostle Paul, is that I may know you. That's why I think Matthew 7, 21 might be the scariest verse in the Bible. It says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did I not? And you know what they're listing? Results. Did I not do this? Did I plant a church? Did I cast out demons? Did all of that? My CV. And what will he say? I don't know you. What's the goal? To know, to know him. So somewhere along the line, I turned my card towards all the results that God said he'd give me through all the prophecies. And I, I, got, I got them all. I got all the prizes, but I missed the goal. And he's going to say, that's impressive, but I don't know you. Last one, and the, the keyboardist can kill. Here's the third one. And it would be so much easier if the points tonight were lust, greed, and hate. Or <laughs> I could avoid those three. Or, or murder, stealing. And, but, but these are things God wants for you. Right. He wants favor on your life. He wants results on your life. He wants recognition on your life. He wants, third one, relationships. I have preached more sermons against isolation than anyone I know because I believe it is one of the devil's biggest tactics to isolate you. And it's, he, Jesus said before sin entered the world, it's not good for man to be alone. And that wasn't an invitation just to get married. That was an invitation to community and to connection. I spent all of this morning talking about the power of connection and the importance of being part of a net. So I could not believe in relationships and connection more than I do. And yet, it's not the goal of life. It's a wonderful prize. I just told you, I feel like I've got a new friend. I feel like one of the best parts of my life is everything that God has brought into my life. Even that horrible week that I had, which wasn't that bad compared to some of you. I've got a way better job now, even though I lost my job. I've got a way better wife now. In case she hears this recording, she's definitely way better. And I've got more friends than I think 
I've had as a lawyer or anything because of the joys of what God has done and the places, the countries. It's incredible. And yet relationships, as vital as they are, are not the goal of life because there are going to be seasons where you're alone. But you're never lonely because he says he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. When, when God said to go to Malaysia to plant a church, I go, God, all my family are in Perth. All my friends are in Perth. What am I going to do there? I don't want to go there. But that's right. The goal is you. The goal is to know you. The, I cannot make every decision. Now, I, I, like I said to you, I believe I have messages on recognition and how God wants to highlight your life. I've got messages on favor and results and increase. For result. I've got messages in series on relationships. So these are all gifts from God. But they're not the goal. They're a prize. You know, um, I'll close with a story. Um, Because I think tonight God just wants to do some heart alignment, just some wheel alignment. And it's not because your life is going in the wrong direction. But somewhere along the line, the high end I just started going, I'm like, oh, if I could just have... And then you, my reactions, all the stories, my reactions is the Holy Spirit just going... <clears throat> and I go, if, if the Apostle Paul, who achieved so much, said, I count it all but loss, just for the joy of knowing you that I may know you. People, ambitious people go like, okay, know God and then what? Like, what do you do after you know God? Surely once you know God, he wants you to do something. Sure, of course. But the goal is to know him and look back and go, look at all these things that he's added to my life. I had this experience, I'll close with this. I had this experience when I was single and it was probably, I was in ministry but I wasn't, hadn't started Kingdom City. And one night I'm sleeping, fast asleep, and I hear a knock on the door in my dream. I'm fast asleep, I have a dream. I go to the door in my dream, I open, it's in my house, I open the door, and instantly I recognize it's this demonic presence. It's, it's this ugly, misty, dark thing, and it just starts filling my house. And in my dream, I'm going mentally, Mark, shut the door, shut the door. And I tried to shut the door, but the door won't shut. It's like I had gone anemic in the dream and I had no ability to shut this door. And this thing was just coming into my own house. And it was so scary for the first, I don't know how many minutes, seven, eight, nine minutes, I can't remember. But it was so scary, I woke up. And as soon as I woke up, I realized it's not a dream. I'm the only one in my house. And there's this dark presence in my room. It's two in the morning. 2.30 and it's so real it's literally choking me I can't physically get up I'm going what is this and I'm speaking tongues English Jesus help do something this thing's real and it's in I've never had an experience before or since to this magnitude and it was so overwhelming and eventually after about 10 minutes of just crying out for fear of my life finally this thing leaves and peace fills the room but I turn the light on and I'm scared I've got sweat and I'm like God what on earth was that I'm going, God, how did that thing get into my house? I'm not involved in the occult or all those eight things. I don't even watch Harry Potter. How did that get in? I mean, I'm sure there was issues I had, but not to invite that thing in. And what happened to greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And how could the thing just walk in my house? I said, Lord, you have to speak to me. So I was wide awake that whole night. I opened my journal, opened my Bible, and God began to speak to me from the book of Ezekiel. And it says, in that day, I'll give them one heart. The word one is the word undivided or a whole heart. Because my question to God was, God, why, why could I not shut the door in my dream? Why was I suddenly, and the Lord said something, every time you give a piece of your heart to anything or anyone, you give it a key, you give it access and it can walk in whether you like it or not. That's why people who get broken hearted, it's because you gave your heart to what now has the right to break your heart. And whether that's a relationship, whether that's a goal in life, whether that's a career, whether that's a recognition, whatever it is. And I'm going, God, okay, no, and I take the, the, the keys back from wherever I've given my heart because I thought, God, I, I thought I gave you my heart. I'm a Christian. And I realized that 
This is why that Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all. Not the first part, not, not, the, not the Sunday part, with all. And I felt the jealousy of God that night as I surrendered my life to God and said, God, I want you to have all my heart. I'm a single guy. I, I don't really have much going. And I, this, I journaled this. And, and the Lord said, one day you'll have a wife. She won't have your heart. I'll have your heart. One day you'll have sons. They won't have your heart. I'll have your heart. One day you'll have ministry. It won't have your heart. I'll have your heart. One day you'll have money. It won't have your heart. I'll have your heart. And he began to go through things. And I'm going, wow, God. And at that point, I had none of those things. And I felt the jealousy of God. God is not jealous because he's insecure. He's jealous because he's passionately in love with you. No matter who you are, what you've gone through, where you've been, he can still redeem you. He can still rescue you because he loves you. And I felt the jealousy of God in this encounter. And, and, and you know, you might be asking the question I was saying, well, well surely I've got to have some of my heart for my wife or my kids. Or... And I realized that the greatest husband I'll ever be is when God has my whole heart. The best dad I will ever be to my sons is when God has my whole heart. The greatest pastor my church will ever have is not when the church has my heart, but when God has my whole heart. The greatest steward I'll ever be is not when the things I lead have my heart, but when God has my whole heart. That's why he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. God loves my wife more than I do. God loves my sons more than I do. God loves my future more than I do. God loves every part of me way more than I could. And he said, all I want is all of you. And that night before I went to bed, the next few weeks before I go to bed, I was like, God, just in case I give you my whole heart again. I don't know. I don't want to go through that again. I was, my favorite song was, Lord, I gave you my heart. I gave you my soul. Have it. I was just singing that over over again. But here's what I want you to realize, that he wants to be the goal and the only goal. And even the prizes can have access to break your heart. And you know what? Despite the fact that I think, wow, this, is, this will set me straight, like my Hyundai, six months from now, I'm going to have to go over this again and go, God, I thank you, God, that you're the goal. And like Paul, I press toward the goal of Christ, of knowing you. I forget all things that I may have you, God, whether I'm single, whether I'm married, whether I'm, kids are with me, whether the kids don't love me, whether the ministry's growing, whether the ministry's dying, whether the business is good, whether the business is bad, whether people are for me, whether people are against me, whether they like me on Instagram or they hate me on social media, God, you're the goal. And everything else is the prize. Why don't we stand to our feet and just let the Holy Spirit right now just do what he does does on my Hyundai heart. And I don't know, maybe you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord. See, God doesn't want to be studied. He wants to be known. He doesn't want to be used. He wants to be known. He's a relational God. And just like when I've worked at my pastor knew him I had this thirst and I'm still on this journey like all of us Paul the apostle said not that I've attained I haven't arrived still on the journey but the one thing I do I press toward the goal and I just want to ask you while every eyes closed your head is bowed if you go you know what I, I need to know God I want to know him I don't want to get all the prizes and miss the goal I don't want to I don't I, I want every key to my heart back in the hands of the one who made me, the one who knows me, the one who loves me, the one who created me. And if you've never experienced the joy of having your sins forgiven or your heart washed or the sense of cleanliness and freedom, it's real if you would just surrender your heart to God. He's knocking on the door, but the key is on your side. You need to open up and let God in tonight. And I don't know everyone here, and maybe you're all in love with Jesus, but maybe there are people here tonight that need to make this decision or you've made the decision but you've walked away and you find you've given your heart to other things and tonight you want to rededicate your life to God I think all of us need the Hyundai tune-up but what I'm asking you now is do you need to make a conscious decision to make Jesus your Lord and Savior or you once did, but you have no peace around it. If you fall into those categories while every eye is closed, every head is bowed, and every believer is in prayer, that's you. Just slip up your hand right where you are. I want to include you in this. Say, yeah, that's me. God bless you, sir. God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you. Just raise it up high. Yeah, good on you. Anyone else? I see your hand. 
Raise it up high. It's so worth it. If the only reason I came was for you, my friend, it was worth it. Anyone else? Anyone else? You say, that's me. I want to give my heart to Jesus. I'm not taking chances. I'm not playing games. I don't know why I ended up here, but tonight was my night. Tonight is the night I get my life right with God. Who else tonight? I don't know everyone here, but I need to give you that chance. Wonderful. Well, we're going to pray. And I'd, and I'd love to meet that friend of mine, that brother at the back. I'll meet you later. But I want us all to pray. Someone will come with you as well. Let's all pray this prayer together. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I give you my whole heart. Forgive me of all my sin and come into my life and change me from the inside out. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. I believe and declare that I am forgiven, that I am free, that I am accepted because I am your child in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, I pray for my brother at the back. I thank you that this would be a life-changing night for him. Out of darkness into light, into death into life, there would be a radical shift that God on that great day, he will not be lost because of his hunger and his heart and the and the recognition of this decision in this moment. I thank you. See, right now all over this place, even though my brother got his life right with God tonight, there's many of us that need a tune-up. Your car's not going in the wrong direction. And maybe even over the weekend, God's been so kind. He's spoken to you. Great things have happened. But my Hyundai, I realized every nine months, whether or not it felt good or bad, I just wanted it aligned. So if you're saying, I'm a candidate for a wheel alignment, it doesn't matter whether it's recognition, results, relationships, could be something else. But if you're saying, God, I just want you to wheel align my heart right now, I think it's a wonderful thing to do. Stretch both hands towards heaven, and I want to pray. You know, the thing about wheel alignment is that you turn the engine off, and the mechanic does the work. Let the Holy Spirit be the mechanic right now. I gave you stories where he literally aligned my heart. I didn't try and self-align. It was the Holy Spirit. So right now, I just wonder if across this auditorium with hands raised or maybe your hand on your heart, whatever it is I just want to pray come Holy Spirit come Holy Spirit come Holy Spirit and just align every heart right now there are people that you've been feeling really heavy hearted over a lack of results in an area of your life or you're feeling lonely because of the status and tonight God wants to come. I'm praying that he, that, he, that, he, that he turns it around. I'm praying that he gives you the desires of your heart. But, but tonight he's aligning hearts where he becomes the magnificent obsession of your life. Where God, that I would know you and nothing else. God, if I have you, all the rest will find its space. There'll be summer, there'll be winter, there'll be spring, there'll be autumn. There'll be times I'm popular, there'll be times I'm not. There'll be times I'm known, there'll be times I'm in, in a hidden. There'll be times, God, where there's lots of people and times where there's none. There'll be times where there's so much and there's so little. But all I know is if I have you the whole way, my car will stay on track. My heart will beat on track. My goal is that I may know you. So, Father, thank you for aligning hearts even now. Even now, peeling away disappointment, pulling out the thorns of, of, of reactions that, that would otherwise be needed. And I thank you for aligning my heart. And so, somewhere in the team, sing this song. In this worship moment, let the Holy Spirit align you. Jesus over everything. It's the truth. He reigns forevermore. Our song for all eternity. Jesus Christ is Lord. What a confession tonight, Lord. Jesus over everything. He reigns forevermore. Come on, if you need the Lord to align your heart, just let him have his way. A song for all eternity. Jesus Christ is let's, Lord. Let's sing it again, even as we sing these words. Jesus over everything. Do you mean it? Over everything. Over recognition, over results, over relationships, God. A song for all eternity. 
city. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's shifting hearts. Jesus over everything. Come on, let the tears go. Just surrender. Let it go. Let it go. There's liberty, there's joy, there's peace when he fixes a you. Song for all eternity. Jesus Sing it one last time. From the front to the back, from the left to the right. Jesus over everything. He reigns forevermore. In my heart, in my life, Lord. A song for all you can have all of me, God. Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me close in prayer, and then I'm going to hand back to the pastor. Father, I thank you that you have over powerhouse. You've got a tremendous future over every person in this room. Lord, you've got seasons of grace, of highlight, of recognition, that greater days are yet to come. Lord, I thank you for great results, that more people will get saved in this church in the next 10 years than in the last 20. God, I thank you that so much more will happen in terms of healings and deliverance and ministry and growth and addition. I thank you, Lord, that relationships will be found, godly relationships, healthy marriages, great things would spring out of this house. God, in Sunshine Coast, in Melbourne, and in other places yet to be revealed. Father, I thank you. You're raising up wonderful people that you will highlight. But God, when it's all said and done, when it's all said and done, like the Apostle Paul, everything is lost compared to the joy of knowing you. And so, Father, with that joy, with that delight, we give you all the honor, all the praise. Thank you for all you've done over this weekend. Thank you for everything you did from the start of this conference right up till now. But Father, we end this weekend with the one goal of knowing you. May it forever be the magnificent obsession of every heart. In Jesus' name we pray. And the whole church said, come on, can you give God a shout of praise? Can you give God the praise he deserves?